When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello everyone and welcome back to the Roper Rapport podcast in association with Vox Brewery where while well, we have had rather a emergency meeting among the Roper Report editors to discuss the recent events which have of course unfolded behind closed doors at the club we have appointed a new CEO in Jim Rodwell and we've received I think to say mixed reviews would probably be unfair because by and large the feedback we've had on the appointment of our new executive organiser is that it's a lot more bad than good. Um, indeed, the negatives we've received have eclipsed the positives that have seldom emerged. And we figured that obviously, because that's big news, we would gather today, congregate on Skype in our respective isolation inspiration stations, <laughs> where we can obviously talk about what's gone down and how we how we feel about it. So joining me on this fine, humid afternoon is Craig. How are you doing, Craig? Very well. Just plodding along, enjoying the sun. Good stuff. From a two-metre distance from everybody else. Of course, of course, as, as is, of course, good practice. And we're also joined <laughs> by Tom, who isn't joining us on a humid 3pm in Sunderland. He is joining us via Skype all the way from the States, where it's morning. Am I right in saying that, Tom? Yep, 9.42am in sunny Florida. 9.42 in Florida. Lovely. Probably just as uh, warm as Sunderland right now, maybe a little bit. Hotter. Possibly. I mean, uh, to be honest with you, I, I never imagined Sunderland as being somewhere that shares a climate with Florida at any <laughs> given time. But, you know, if it is, it is. That's that's fine by me. We'll not beat around the bush anymore. Let's just uh, go straight for the nil and try and hit on the head. So, obviously, Jim Rodwell, our new CEO, formerly of Scunthorpe, Notts County in Boston, where, again, that's generally where these checkered reviews are coming from. We'll start with you, Craig. What do you make of that appointment? Oh, God, where do you start? Um... I've had time to digest on it, and I'll be honest, the feelings remain the same. Let's be honest, it's been well documented now that the ownership and every key figure at the club have no fixed residence in Sunderland, and this has obviously impacted their ability to run the club and their respective departments. So whilst I and many others have pushed for the appointment of someone to run the show and fill that void since Martin Bain left the club, I do find this latest edition very, very uninspiring. And the main problem for me is that with Stewart, Charlie and the rest of the Eastley band, they've aptly demonstrated that they haven't got the first clue what a successful appointment would look like in virtually every opportunity. Now, I feel like this is another edition of someone who has extensive experience of failure on a CV and it sums up exactly what's wrong with the club. It's starting to feel a little bit of history repeating with that jobs for the boys clubs mentality of appointing the wrong people behind the scenes once again and we've seen that with Congerton, Defanti, Ryan Sachs, Margaret Byrne. David Moyes. 
Oh, God, don't even start with that. <laughs> now, I mean, those in favour of the appointment on social media, and there are some, they've argued that, you know, we've appointed someone with experience of the level that we're at, and that's fair enough. But what I would say in response to that is we're not your run-of-the-mill League One club. So whilst people would argue that experience at this level is exactly what we need, I don't feel it is. I mean, as we've already seen in the likes of Paul Reed and Richard Hill, Neil Fox, etc., despite their intentions promises and the like they are all deeply in over their heads now league one clubs for me that don't have the overheads nor our infrastructure and whether people agree or disagree we are a premier league club basically in all that but name with the associated complexities have been that and i feel we would be much better off with someone who has shown success rather than experience preferably in a much bigger pond than the one that we do currently sit in at the moment and i don't think that's beyond the the realms of possibility considering you know we went and poached tony davidson from the commercial department at spurs to become managing director here in the summer of 2018 and whilst some will you know kind of allude to rodwell's time at scunthorpe yeah i acknowledge they had three consecutive top seven finishes in league one but my main concern, and I direct everybody to the comments of Peter Swan from yesterday, he said, I employed Jim to take us to the championship and get us ready for our journey into the new stadium. And for those unaware, he leaves them sat in 20th position in League 2, the two points above the relegation zone, having played a game more than Mansfield Town, who at the time of this recording sit one place below them. Now, albeit, in unfairness, a ball hasn't been kicked in around six weeks and it looks unlikely anytime soon, but... For me, it's just screaming disaster and people can bury their, their heads in the sand if they want and churn out their give them a chance party line, but we've got to look at it like this and it, it needs to stop being this small time syndrome now. Sunderland Football Club are six times champions of England with two times FA Cup winners and we're a top 10 performing English club in top flight history and we are now being warned on social media by Boston United supporters about the future of our football club because we've appointed someone who wasn't competent enough to run their club and manage their relatively modest expectations successfully. Mm -hmm. And let's be fair, Sunderland fans, we all are. We're all well accustomed to poor appointments and we can smell them a mile off. And for me, Rodwell CV, I mean, even the surname, it's it's upsetting just saying Rodwell yeah, again in yeah, association with um, Sunderland, isn't it? it it's, a, it's an ill omen, you might say, isn't it? <laughs> but a CV, it's, for me, it's riddled with destroying exit jobs. And it's quite disheartening that the club are describing his appointment as a huge asset, which made him the natural choice as the club continues to progress. I mean, I wish him well, but I think we know from the offset this will not end well. No, that's it. You know, there's an, there's an element among Sunderland fans, and obviously because we are just so accustomed to failure and because we know exactly what the archetypal disappointing appointment looks like. I think while looking at it, I would say I want to give everyone a fair chance. Okay? No matter how mm. poor a CV someone has when they come into the club, you know, I don't care if it's when you're you're signing Josie out the door or it's when you're signing Jermaine Defoe. You know, like no matter what the CV is, I believe in the egalitarian approach of giving yeah. everyone a fair chance, a fair crack of the whip. But I, I, like you say there, Craig, you know, like you cannot fault the Sunderland fans for feeling that we are primed for another sort of like catastrophic appointment here because you look at the CV, and it does just scream job for a mate. And that's precisely the water-taking party that, that Methvin spoke about that he claimed we were moving away from. You know, Sunderland wasn't going to be a, a free meal ticket anymore. But, you know, quite frankly, that's exactly what it feels like it is again. You know, this feels like something between appointing Martin Bain asset strip and Moy signing Jolien Lescott because he had no one else to sign. And he figured, may as well give the job to a mate because I do need to have somebody there so that the fans can stop complaining that we haven't got someone Absolutely. there. I really don't know how to feel about it. But anyway, we'll, we'll go over to you, Tom, because you've had the displeasure of having to sit through all of that without having an input yet. I suppose what Craig said there 
Craig actually foregrounded probably the strongest part of um, Rodwell's career as a CEO and then sort of quickly showed that even that positive is ultimately sort of encompassed by a negative in his time at Scunthorpe. Yeah, he did get them three top seven consecutive League One finishes, which I think I dare say, not to be too disrespectful, but for a club the size of Scunthorpe, that's not particularly bad. I dare say sort of like the lower reaches of the championship, top end of League One, is roughly their ceiling. But as Craig says there, he was appointed to do more than what he ended up doing. So we shouldn't be considering an underachievement, I don't think, as an accolade by any stretch. But let's look now at his time at Boston United, which of course took them from League Two all the way down to the Conference North. Let's start with that, Tom. How does that board for us, knowing that that's our new CEO? You know, there's actually a, a part of us that, you know, every time there's a, a hint of optimism in the air and fans think, oh, this is, you know, the new dawn or this is the, the kickstart that we needed to really get moving in the right direction. I'm just wondering whether, like, we actually live in some kind of weird Twilight Zone, Black Mirror-esque world where <laughs> whenever there is a hint of optimism and it very quickly turns to a shit show, I'm wondering whether when we actually think something's going to be a complete shit show, perhaps we might actually be able to take something positive from it in the long run. All joking aside, I don't really know how to feel for one very simple reason. I'm not exactly sure what his role is going to be as CEO. And I think that's really something that would be great if it could be clarified. I think the thing Sunderland and the Netflix documentary series highlighted this in bold for me is we didn't necessarily need a business figure. Or, I mean, we did, but the big issue that plagues us now is not so much the business figure. It's somebody being able to link the dugout with the boardroom. And I don't know whether Rodwell is going to be a director of football kind of figure or if he's purely here on the business end of things. Mm -hmm. And if he's purely here on the business end of things, we're always a couple of years behind with regards to really understanding the financial picture purely because of the way that finances are released. But it'll be interesting to see with this latest set of finances where Sunderland were at. And it'll be interesting to see if this gives Rodwell an opportunity to actually update sort of asynchronously where the club are at now. You know, there is a good chance with the cost cutting that went on that we might actually not be in the most horrific financial state right now. No. But then if you if you bring somebody in as a CEO, as like a, a stereotypical business type CEO, then really that's just kind of keeping the clock ticking over, so to speak, would be his role, which isn't what the club need, in my opinion. I think what we really needed the most was some kind of director of operations or a football and director, because the issue isn't so much the business side of things, or at least that's what we've been told time and time again, that we're in great financial shape. I think the, the real issue was not having an identity as a club. And what really does worry me, and, and Craig touched on this, is that Rodwell has come from several clubs where he has had a, a mixed bag of success, if truth be told. You know, you alluded yourself there, Alex, to the fact that there's three top seven finishers or top 10 finishers, sorry, for uh, Scunthorpe. And then really that is a, a positive for them. I think that's actually a real achievement. Yeah. The problem that comes from that, though, is as has been noted in, in the sort of interviews we've conducted as a site, is that people really don't know how much Rodwell had to do with that. He's very much seen as a behind-the-scenes kind of figure. He's not open in terms of communication with fans or with the media. In fact, the journalist we spoke to on the site today said he doesn't think he's ever spoken to in the time he's been at the club. So for me, that's the big worry. I think you're right that essentially people do need to be given a chance. And like I said, I'm hoping that 
perhaps the the one underwhelming appointment that we have, perhaps that does turn out to be a positive one. But coming into this job, there's several question marks that are hanging that I think really need to be addressed. And number one is, what is his sort of remit at the club? What's he supposed to be doing? Number two, I really hope that he understands that he has to be forward-facing. Well, he doesn't have to be, sorry. That's a generalisation. He should be forward-facing and vocal in terms of discussing the, the club's position and where we're going. I know people come out very often and say, you know, well, businesses don't do that. You don't have to tell the stakeholders exactly what's going on all the time. You don't, but I think it's probably a best practice now that the ownership started with that track last season. You know, fans expect that now. So really, it's a case of, you know, what's he actually going to do? Is he actually going to communicate well with the fans so that we understand what he's supposed to be doing, where he's going? And I think finally, and this is really a club-wide issue, we don't even know where what we're supposed to be doing. We know we're supposed to be going back into the championship and we know that's the aim. But in terms of like the longevity or the, the, the bigger picture of the club, I don't think anybody really knows what our aspirations are. And I think that's going to be something that if Rodwell doesn't resolve that or doesn't kind of address that issue in the first month, or maybe even sooner than that, to be fair, but there's going to be a real issue on the hands of a lot of the fans who are like, who are going to kind of just be quizzical at the appointment, basically, because, like you said, his his track record is is mixed to say the least. Though I'd be inclined to at least give him a fair chance at showing his worth. But really, we haven't had anything positive from the people who are affiliated with the clubs he was at, and that's got to be a worry, doesn't it? I think so, and I think we'll only really be able to make an actual informed opinion on what he's doing with Sunderland once we do know what he's been brought in to do specifically. You know, again, I don't want to sound like I'm being difficult, but prior to, I'm going to call him Jim, and I'm not going to call him Rodwell because I can't bring myself to keep saying that for this whole podcast. The main issue we had prior to appointing Jim was that we didn't know who was running the club on a day-to-day basis. And that was a very valid concern for a club, you know, with our ambitions and, you know, of, of our of our considerable size. Now we have a CEO who is, you know, quote unquote, the person who runs the club on a day to day basis. There's still a question that's being asked, which is what necessarily is running the club on a day to day basis going to look like when a CEO is appointed? Is it going to be the case that he is going to work sort of in tandem with the manager, with the senior leadership team to sort of like have dialogue on the club's vision, on its sort of like long term plan? Or is it the case, obviously, Donald is still looking to sell the club? And there won't be any discussions with himself and Jim about a long-term plan because the only sort of plan that Donald has in his sights is selling the club and to do so, he's going to want the club to be as financially buoyant as possible, in which case Jim would be trying to sort of cut costs and, you know, sell off what can be sold and consequently potentially limit some ambition, really, when we could use use that kind of figure to expand. A lot like Martin Bain, really, is, is sort of the fear, I think, especially on my mind, is are we appointing someone who is going to act more like a director of football and is going to try to sort of piece together the different sort of like concerns and needs of the different members of the team in order to create a vision? Or is he going to be here to sell off assets, you know, if and where possible? Because quite frankly, that's the last thing we need. I think, you know, the, the academy's taken a big enough hit. Um, we're already losing loads of youth players. The facilities are already sort of like diminishing. And I fear how much more could be cut for the purposes of making the club sort of, again, as I say, more financially stable without it being one that's necessarily looking to have a long-term plan under Donald. But anyway, what, what do you think, Craig? Because I think I'm rambling at this point. Yeah, no, it's it's interesting about the day-to-day 
queries and the concerns that both of you mentioned so far. For the people who haven't perhaps seen it so far, uh, we conducted an interview with Charlie Wilson. Uh, he's a Scunthorpe Live reporter, and I'm just going to read out one of his answers that he gave to a question. It's just a very short piece, um, but this is his words verbatim, describing basically what Jim did at the club. I'll stay away from the name of Rodwell. It's a curse. Yes. He said he was not a day-to-day kind of CEO at Scunthorpe United. So if he takes the same approach as he did working for the Iron with Sunderland, then you're not going to get what you ask for. He absolutely could change his work and approach to this job. It could be more prevalent, but we have seen nothing to suggest this from his time in his previous clubs. So my first question off the back of that that I would immediately have is, are you going to change your approach? Are you going to change your living arrangements first and foremost? Are you basically going to buy into this way of thinking that we want as as a fan base that you are at least going to be here day to day opposed to the part-time arrangements that everybody else has taken so far because I don't think that you can have any say in the day-to-day arrangement of whatever business whether you are manager of a football club or whether you run a you know a small shop if you are head of everything then realistically speaking you're going to need to be there Monday to Friday you touched on it a few moments back as well in respect of what Donald's you know idea is going forward and this is a question I would have for kind of both of them because I don't know. I'm getting this impression now that the idea of Sunderland being sold is a million miles away. I know that we've been told um, in previous statements, more often than not, they contradict themselves. We've had Charlie Methrin suggest that would be sold by the end of May. Originally, we were told by Donald that would be sold much sooner than that. But the COVID, the whole worldwide pandemic has now unfortunately impacted that. But what I would be questioning to Jim is first and foremost is another concern that you're leaving a permanent job which let's be fair it doesn't look like he's been you know kind of targeted upon anything because if he's been brought in with the remit of achieving promotion to the championship and they're in serious danger of falling out the football league yet his position seems safe is another concern to come to a basket case of a club like Sunderland where we are by design looking to sell the club And with that, you would expect everybody who is now currently involved behind the scenes that they would no longer be here. So I'm wondering, is this the case that we are having the wool pulled over our eyes? Is Stuart simply laying the foundations, surrounding himself once again with his men, basically to have another crack at this next season? Because that's the feeling I'm getting. I think regardless of of what we're being told, we are nowhere near being sold. No. Well, I mean, obviously the appointment of a CEO is naturally going to do that. And everything you said there, Craig, totally corroborates that theory. But do you think then, you know, if we're going to try and be a bit more optimistic on this approach, if we look, say, at Donald hypothetically appointing Jim, still calling him Jim, with the ambition of getting Sunderland out of League One and still going to be here for the foreseeable, what do you think that's going to mean for establishing an identity for the club? Because obviously that's still something that we really, we really are still chasing, you know, we're we had to sack Ross earlier this year, so whatever Ross was building was torn back down by Parkinson, consequentially. Not that that's his fault, of course, but it is what it is when you need when you need a new manager. So what could the appointment of Jim mean for establishing like an ethos or an identity? Well, I think that you are absolutely bang on that we need some sort of, you know, idea or at least a conversation of what the targets are. Now, that does not have to come through us. Preferably, I would prefer that to stay away from their chosen media you know, partners at the moment of talk sport and the mirror. I want that to come directly from the club. I know that staff have been furloughed, but from what we've been told, 
some have returned to their respective departments. And I'm assuming with, you know, Oscar Chamberlain popping stuff out on social media that he is still there in his capacity as social media manager. So what I would like to see is I would like some form of an interview to address that, you know, whilst there's obviously been no real structure at the club and seemingly no direction beyond really what seems surviving hand to mouth, as it were, what he's coming in to do and basically just kind of talk up again about what it is that we are expected to achieve. Because you mentioned about Ross's dismissal. I think a lot of people actually forget that the, the target at the start of the season was it was 100 points. You know, that wasn't set by us. We didn't, you know, kind of give this grandiose of of promises only for it to fall by the wayside and, and change complete direction. You know, we, we are destined basically for perhaps a third season in the third tier of English football. But the thing is, we should have been running away with this league. Now, because of what's happening with the suggestion of finishing the season on a point-per-game basis, I think the need from basically Stuart downwards, they, they need to come out and address their feelings and they need to basically come out and say that Jim, in his new role now, he will be ensuring that this does not happen again. He needs to basically come out and say, this is what we're going to be doing to achieve promotion because that conversation is is gone. I have not heard that that word promotion mentioned in a long, long time. That pretty much stopped after Phil Parkinson's bad run. You know, when he came in, he was told that he, he needed to get the extra 10% and we needed to be in the automatic promotion spots. But all of those conversations have simply dried up. And now I'll be honest, I think as fans... And I'm not going to single you know anybody out, but I'm going to say as a collective, I think as a collective, we have all rolled over and allowed standards to drop very, very, very poorly. Like I said beforehand, in respect of everything that we've won in the game, we're now becoming an afterthought. And I really do think that we need to stand up for ourselves because I think in, in terms of the failings and the way people are just happy to take it on the chin, it's negligent on us as a fan base. We need to be holding these people to have more accountability of what they are doing and we need explanations of decisions. So in terms of this appointment, whilst I am not overly thrilled, I want him to prove me wrong. Just like I want everybody at the football club to always prove me wrong. I want Stuart Donald to get it right. I want, well, preferably I don't want Methvin anywhere near because, well, many things really. Um, but no, what I what I want now is I want that sense of direction back and that sense of leadership to say, this is our objective and this is what we're going to achieve for because in the moment we seem a rudderless ship. So I'm hopefully expecting in the next couple of days somebody to come out and somebody to say this is what we're going to be looking for. I appreciate that we're having a lot of downtime now because of what's happening in the world. But nonetheless, I still feel that we need that conversation to say if the season resumes and we do finish in the last nine, ten games or what have you, or whether it's going to be null and void and whether we go on for another season next season, they need to come out and at least explain what they are going to do to resolve the issues that we've got. And, and basically addressed to finally getting us out of this uh, this division. Yeah. I mean, obviously, sig- signalling out their intentions is going to be one thing, Craig, but um, what I'm very interested in is what you said there about standards, because for what it's worth, I do agree with you. I think we have, I think whether, like, sort of, like, implicitly or not, the standards have dropped and we've sort of just been okay with it, which obviously is a little bit problematic. I'm sure, I'm sure if we all saw ourselves about a year and a half ago in this situation, we might think, how did we sort of permit that to ourselves mm-hmm. to occur but when you say that standards have dropped Craig what exactly do you mean? I mean that's across the entire club the fan base everything now people will always say you know you shouldn't kind of get above your station and things like that and the common comment that you will always see is 
you know, if you're unhappy with anything, you shouldn't say anything because that level of behavior is always described as mag-like. You know, you can't protest. You can't basically say why you're unhappy or anything. You are just basically expected to take it on the chin and get on with it. Now, the way I look at it is, it doesn't make you a better fan to sit by and do nothing. But on the flip side, it doesn't make you a better fan to stand and scream and shout. The way I look at it is, there is no obligation for any fan, you know, to kind of come out and scream. If you want to turn up at the Stadium of Light and sit on your hands every single week, that's absolutely fine. But the way I, I'm kind of viewing this is, so when Stuart Donald first came into this club, you alluded to it earlier, Methvin said the piss-taking party had to stop. Now, I'll be honest, that has just continued to roll. The recruitment has been very, very poor. The appointments behind the scenes have all been poor. I still, you know, champion the cause that the appointment of Phil Parkinson was absolutely dreadful. And I am really still to this day stunned that he remains in a job. But just kind of going back to, you know, the idea about the protesting supporters and things of like, look, we're a group of fans and we do have very realistic expectations. We want the very best of what's achievable for the football club. Now, last season, there was the whole novelty, you know, of going around these grounds and kind of reclaiming the identity and, and basically just getting promoted. It was, it was about getting that winning feeling again. And it stopped. You know, it, it came crashing down. And then all of a sudden, we are now back in League One again for a second season. And it's just basically like, we can't shake off the bad smell. Now, when we fell down to 15th, just after Boxing Day, after that draw with Bolton, the biggest concern for me was, is nobody in the media batted an eyelid. Not one person. There was no comments from any of the senior Northeast figures. There was nothing of the sort. Now, what really concerns me is, is how that's been allowed. You know, how people from even the outside are, are kind of looking in, thinking, well, that's just acceptable. And it's almost like they've just looked upon it and thought, well, the Sunderland fans are okay with that. And, you know, we're not, not at all. People will always allude to maybe the Sunderland fans are partly responsible for this decline and and why maybe the blame should be attributed here, which of course we know is is absolute bollocks really. In terms of what's going on, we know that there's been problems in terms of scouting the players, in terms of signing the players that we want, bringing them up here, in terms of coaching them. The, the, the idea for me is that Sunderland still sit as a League One club. I'll be honest, I find it absolutely disgraceful. It really is. In terms of when they came in, they said, look, we're going to finish sixth is, is the bare minimum. We're going to get in the playoffs. So if we want to hold them to that standard, they achieved their target first time round. You then look at us at the end of the playoff. So when we had that podcast with them and they were held to account for their failings, we didn't set the ambition or the target to say, are you you know, going to do X, Y, and Z? They said that they were going to get 100 points. They said they were going to do everything in their power to aim for that. Charlie Methvin then finished the next Netflix season on that we need to be runaway leaders. Now, none of that has happened. We are, at this point, basically an established League One club and nobody's really batted an eyelid. Now, and I know I'm rambling at this point, but my main issue, like I said, is the fact is how much is enough before people finally, you know, kind of snap and say that this is actually disgraceful. And I mentioned earlier about the, the Newcastle comment about the way their fans are always ridiculed by always about the way that they protest and stuff like that. 
Some of it, for the most part, is cringeworthy. They've had their fake funerals and they've had their incorrect spellings on the bedsheet. But by God, if they're unhappy, the media know about it. And you'll have George Culkin writing the sensationalist romantic pieces about how, you know, they deserve so much better. And you'll have Keith Downey doing the same on Sky, stood in front of a camera to say that these are, you know, the most hard done by football fans. And I've even seen some allude to Mike Ashley's recent years as an austerity around the football club. Now, if you look at these, you know, kind of bios of these people reporting on it, they all say the same, that the report for the three northeast clubs, why is nobody coming down to Sunderland and saying, hold on, why are you still struggling in League One? Why can nobody to this day still explain how Stuart Donald and Charlie Methvin bought this football club with the suggestion of its own parachute money? It's almost like we've just become an afterthought and nobody cares now, the only people who can stand up for ourselves, let's be honest, is us as the fans. The standards have dropped beyond belief that we've been going to places in this division. And this is not doing any disservice to these teams, but let's be fair, we shouldn't be going to Gillingham's and Bristol Rovers and all of these places and telling them that, you know, a point here and a point there is a good result and losing. Aidan McGeady stood up for that and he said we should be doing much better and he was forced out. So for me... I think in terms of how we we basically readjust ourselves and actually start throwing around who we are and that we are that big name, we are that forgotten giant, we need to, to basically have a word with people to say, unless you are going to be improving what you've offered to this football club so far, you can sling your hook. And I think as fans, we need to be doing that an awful lot more. What do you think, Tom? Because obviously what Craig says there, there is a... It, it moves away in, entirely from the, the issue sort of behind the scenes and it goes to the issues surrounding them. And that's obviously, while there has been a decline, as has been, you know, very blatantly highlighted by Craig, Sunderland's sort of like plight doesn't seem to be one that's picked up all that often by journalists. That's not to say, of course, I'm, I'm not about to implicate Colton or Downey's having an agenda against us. You know, I'm, I'm not quite that paranoid. But obviously, there isn't as much noise around Sunderland when things go badly as there is around Newcastle. And let's be perfectly honest here, you know, I, I don't really want to win. If, if this is a derby, I don't want to win it. But we've suffered a lot more than they have. Let's be perfectly honest here, you know, double relegations, you know, Martin Bain, Jack Rodwell, Didier Endong, David Moyes, Simon Grayson and Chris Coleman. I mean, you know, it's the, their Champions League winning manager wouldn't stay. You know, I mean, that, if, if, that's, if that's, you know, like, if that's a massive headline... Then you know. Then I I can't even fathom what uh, what a, a a double drop in the league one must be. You know, crikey, what what do you generally make of it, Tom? I think the issue really stems, and and this actually links everything we've spoken about together, from Jim Rodwell to dropping standards to no vision. It all stems from the fact that I think the communication has just been really poor throughout, um, and and I mean that stemmed from. It feels like there's basically a paradox or this like weird duality whereby we get told one thing and told something completely different, yet they can both exist perfectly fine for some yes. reason in the same universe. So like I'll just, you know, when we were actually bought by Donald and, and the ownership group, you know, he's, he told the BBC, we've given Ellis 40 million, so that's the deal. And in return, Ellis has tidied up his debt and now that's gone from the football club. And as you know, every fan at that point is like, this is fantastic. We're debt free. These guys have spent 40 million to get the club and, you know, we're moving in the right direction. And everybody had this real feel good factor. Communication was there. We knew we were debt free. We knew that we also wanted to go for this Dortmund-esque model 
And everybody's like, this sounds brilliant. Let's get behind that. And then, I mean, like just a couple of weeks ago, we we, we then heard, you know, Donald say, Madrox agreed a deal, not we, Madrox agreed a deal worth £40 million with Ella Shaw. This was £15 million plus last summer's parachute payment of £25 million, which came in just after we took over and was ring-fenced to pay off the last bit of bank debt. Like, those are very different statements. And I think that's one major issue that has just prevailed because coupled with that, there's also the fact that we've been told to be grounded and understand that we're in an awful position and we don't have the financial clout to just turn things around, you know, on a dime and get back going in the right direction. So there's one element of the fan base that are saying, look, we need to be realistic. We're not going to go out and sign five, 10 million pound players anymore for fun. We've got to realize that League One is where we're at. We're, we're outside the Prem. We're not going to be there anytime soon. We've just got to accept it. But then yeah. we're also fed a line that says, 100-point season, we're going to have the biggest budget in this league. We're going to blow people away. We are Sunderland. Like, this is a big club. So, like, the whole time there's these, like, conflicting communications existing. So I feel like as a fan base, we just don't know what to believe. And that uncertainty... You know, it breeds almost like a complacence at times because the fan base can't unite at any point behind one narrative because there's several of them existing. And I think Mm -hmm. it's, I don't know whether it's disingenuous or it's a kind of case of, I get that, you know, Donald and co would have to create some kind of momentum and ambition from the fans to begin with. But I think the problem is that, like I said, those two narratives really can't exist. You can't say you've got to accept your place as a League One team and say, but we're going to have this massive budget and we're going to crush the league with 100 points or more. And I think that just breeds this really odd sense of just not knowing where you belong. Absolutely. And I wonder if, and I wonder if that's kind of drifted into what Craig just alluded to there, where because the fans don't know where they belong, there's no like concerted element of discussion you know like we see in the fan letters that we do all the time on the site and i think they're one of the best features because you just get to see this massive array of emotions and the one thing i note is that for every donald out letter we get there's a donald in letter yeah for every we're a league one club letter there's a we're sunderland we should be in the prem letter and i think that's the big issue and and this is where it comes back to jim rodwell because If there's one piece of advice I could give him, and I'm not suggesting he would ever listen to the pod, but if he did grab a soundbite out of this, I would say the fan base is fractured, not necessarily in an aggressive or horrific way, but just in the sense of everybody has a totally different opinion. And that really has stemmed from a a very kind of bewildering level of just mass communication. You know, we, and it just, just to go back to that point, you know, we had a lot of communication to begin with and we loved it. And then now that's kind of gone away as well because the ownership said it was because of the fans. But I think because the scrutiny was so intense at that point, it was difficult to keep up the party line at that point of, you know, we're a big club and, and we're moving in the right direction. So what no. Jim Rodwell really needs to do now at this point is he needs to look and go, right, as the guy who's in the charge of the day-to-day, I need a clear picture of, what the ambition is at this club. And, you know, again, feeding into this duality theme, are we being sold? Are we not being sold? That's the the simplest question I think needs answering right now. Um, What is going on with regards to the ownership situation? And basically what you can do at that point, when you start to clarify for fans, and this kind of works in any kind of business operation in the world, when you clarify what it is you're supposed to be doing, 
where you're supposed to be aiming, then you can develop a set of standards. And I think really we've lost ours because everybody just has this kind of totally different idea of where Sunderland should be or who we are. So if, if Jim Rodwell could come in and do one thing in the, in the immediacy, it would just be to lay out a very simplistic plan, you know, doesn't it? It'd be five-year plan, anything like that. It just needs to be a case of, look, if a good offer comes in, we're going to sell. If not, Stuart is more than happy to take the club forward and maybe give us some kind of assertions that financially we're, we're all right and we're moving in a decent direction. And then we need to start having a discussion about our identity because, truthfully, the Dortmund model has we've been nowhere near that, if, if we're going to be very honest. Out of the players we've signed, we've we, and to be fair, we've signed some pretty decent players. We've also signed an absolute raft load of players that you would never consider as part of a Dortmund model. No. So, I mean, there's, a, there's, a, there's so many variables at play here. We really need to just squish them into one standardised idea that we can all adhere to moving forward. Are we going to be a League One club for the foreseeable future? I think, honestly, if the ownership group genuinely thought that, then I'd want to hear it. And I'd want to hear why, and I'd want to hear what their plan was. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, I agree with that. And, and the flip of that is... Sorry, go on, Craig. No, I was going to say, I'm sorry to butt in at this point, because I, I do, I 100% agree with you with with just kind of that idea of just that open communication. I mean, just touching on Stuart, you were right. He was absolutely applauded for his honesty when he first walked through the door. And he himself, on several occasions, made it beyond clear that he didn't have the funds to support us. Now, at that point, it wasn't the most major of concerns because we were given the impression that we were getting people with more of a football and nous who could potentially open the door, i.e. to Yuan Satori's, the FPP, um, you know, takeovers and things like that. So whilst I, I basically, you know, certainly entertain everything that's been said by them, I 100% agree that I think when Jim Rodwell comes out, I think all communication should probably come from him because I think in respect of the things that we've heard from the owners, they both contradict themselves at every given opportunity and some of it is, you know, beyond embarrassing at times about I'm selling, I'm not selling or, you know, he wants to stay. Actually, no, he doesn't want to stay. It's the fans' fault. No, it's never been the fans' fault. So I think that clear communication needs to come directly from one source. We didn't particularly like Martin Bain, but at least the one thing that we could say about when Martin Bain was in charge was everything came directly from him. Now, like I said, obviously it was at a very, very difficult time, but, you know, it was directly from the club. It wasn't going and speaking out to like a third party or it wasn't going out and speaking to talk sports or would then have to hear everything diluted messages or clickbait websites or anything like that the message now needs to come directly from the football club what is going to happen and if they you know feel that we are going to be a league one club for the next few years come out and justify us if they feel like we are potentially in a position for promotion or anything like that or you know that our aim is going to be promotion five-year plan or anything just give us an idea of what's going on because I think the issues and the cracks that all, you know, kind of fell apart and the, and the good grace was lost with an awful lot of our fan base was all through the social media aspect of, of Stuart Donald, you know, kind of flirting around this idea that we're going to be taken over and become one of the richest football clubs in the world. And I will say in fairness, you know, that's conversations that he had on the record with obviously us, he had it on the record with fans at these talking nights, you know, in pubs and clubs around the northeast. And this is basically where I think the carpet has been pulled up from underneath his feet. 
because whatever's happened with that deal has ballsed up. Now, I'm not you know, necessarily saying that he is the root cause of that because I'd be speculating. I don't know why it fell apart, but he needs to come across and at least be more open about why things have failed and what's going to happen going forward, what our plan is. If we are going to be sold, absolutely fine, but he's the current custodian of this football club and I still think that he needs to come out and address what the plan is, at least until we are sold. And you know what the massive issue for me here is? Being part of a company, if you don't know what the aim is or what your role is or where we're supposed to be going or what we're supposed to be doing, then standards yeah. do slip because you have you have to invent your own standards. Whereas if you have a very strong kind of concerted discussion about this is where we're going, this is what we're doing, and this is how we're going to achieve it, and this is what your role is, I feel like that's when everybody's kind of unified, moving in the right direction. And I'm not saying it's like, that Donald and co have like divided and conquered and tried to have us pitted against it. I really don't think that at all. I genuinely think they bought the club with decent intentions. They obviously wanted to make money, but I don't envy that of them. You know, the, I'm totally fine with the fact they came in, tried to stabilize the club, move us in the right direction, and then perhaps sell us for, for extra cash for themselves. Whatever, that's the way of the world. But the thing that is frustrating is this lack of communication has basically unraveled their own leadership to the point now where fans are, are totally divided on pretty much mm -hmm. any topic that comes up there feels like there's zero unity and i think you're totally right look we we just need to know moving forward what's a very simplistic plan and if jim rogwell can do that he'll have the fans on his side immediately because we'll say right we have something to hold you to versus charlie methvin saying one thing stuart donald saying another thing and then, you know, third parties on, on Twitter, the Alan Nixons and co offering a, a different input. So I feel like there just needs to be like a, a unified kind of approach. And not only that, but we do need to stop with these kind of, I, I don't want to call them mistruths. They're just opinions, basically. We need to stop with the opinions and we need to become kind of a, a factually driven club. And, and that, that kind of links into a whole other discussion about, you know, analytics and, um, the, the, the manner in which the club looks to kind of grow itself, all of that needs to stem from this idea that we're a straight shooting club. We're going to explain to the fans what the position is, where we want to go, how we're going to try and do it, ask for them to buy into this idea. And I just think that that's how you develop something successful. You don't promise the moon and then kind of, you know. And I just think for, for too long, we've had like a lot of, half a dozen of one and three quarters of another discussion and never really known the total sum of what actually is going on and what actually needs to happen. I think that's an absolutely excellent point, Tom. Honestly, I've, I've been listening back. I've been listening to that dialogue just there. And, and honestly, I, it never even occurred to me really until now that the source of the sort of, you, you might say the cognitive dissonance between fans who think, I mean, yes, we're a League One club. We have to accept where we are. We have to be realistic versus... Yeah look, we're a big club, we should be out of this league. You know, it's it's almost like the fans who call other fans having a MAGA mentality and then in response, they'll say the other ones have no ambition. And really, I mean, obviously, people are going to have opinions regardless and people's opinions aren't, aren't completely derived from just what the owners say. But the facts remain that, on the one hand, Stuart's saying, you know, this is where we're at. You know, yes, we're, I'm being honest, I'm being truthful. You know, we're not going to have as much money now. Expect signings of a lesser caliber you know expect more of a league one approach to which a lot of fans were were on board with because they understood the situation they understood the club had fallen on hard times but then 
you know, simultaneously almost, you've got Stuart again or Charlie saying, yeah, look, 100-point season, we're going to smash the league. So you're totally right. Which one do you go for? It, it's almost like if you're going to condense the entire... If you're going to condense all of Stuart and Charlie's public speaking into one discussion, it would be like going, Stuart saying, right, yes, hello, Sunderland fans, the situation is black. And then Charlie goes, yes, yes, I agree with Stuart. I stand by him. It is indeed white, the situation. And then, and then obviously a journalist or Nixon goes, yes, yes, well, based on this, we can say yeah. it's grey. You know, it's like yeah. the fans don't know whether they're coming or going. And, you know, like, like you two have basically, have basically concluded there, you know, it would be a very simple thing to do for, for Jim just to come out, come forward and go, right, okay, I've spoke to the manager, I've spoke to the backroom staff, I've spoke to the senior management. Here is what we are going to do going forward. Here is our plan. This is what we are setting out to do. This is what we have discussed. This is what we have concluded. If he just gives us the synopsis of the consensus from one source, from one article, then we have something, as you say, to... To, to go off you know we have them we have their mantra we have their ethos we have dare i say it an identity to start with you know there is something we can go on and obviously what what um jim then goes on to do is still going to be held you know we're still going to reserve judgment based on what he does but it's a very good start I, I, I dare say just to maybe put your flag in the ground and say right here are my intentions here is the club's intentions this is what you should expect because it's been made abundantly clear that the expectations just change depending on who's talking, whether it's Stuart, whether it's Charlie, whether it's Stuart or Charlie in you know via talk sport. It, it it varies and the fans aren't entirely certain what is going on. That compounded by a lack of a CEO running the club on a day to day basis, you know, has, has just resulted in far more questions than answers. I think I think behind that ambiguity they've they've hit a lot of failings. So it's very it'll be very interesting to see what happens now that we've gotten or someone who's, you would hope, running the club and overseeing the club's sort of like consolidation on a more hands-on basis, because without that, like, it, it's just a bit of a mess. It just feels like everything's being, you know, it feels like they're, they're winging it. And you know what, right? It's it's so easy to kind of, how to put this, it's, it's really easy to turn around and point at somebody and say like, they're doomed, effectively. We're doomed. And I think a lot of fans will turn around at Rodwell and say, you're doomed. However, we really do need to judge him on his actions moving forward. And I think, you know, that doesn't need to be him coming on the Roka Report podcast and laying out this grand plan. I think, like Craig says, it would be twice as effective if it came from the club at this point. Just them telling us direct what, what they see as needing to happen. But not only that, I mean, it it allows you then to just judge him on what he's saying or what he's done versus what he hasn't done. So I think, like, he needs to take control of the narrative here and be kind of transparent about what needs to happen. Because if not, he's going to get a lot of negativity very quickly and people will say, oh, well, he's not doing this or he's not doing that or we don't know what he's doing. Yeah. So it just needs to be proactive. And I think that's really where maybe we've we've kind of fell down in the last couple of months. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. Anything about the word there, Craig? I feel like it's definitely like the last roll of the dice now, isn't it? I think in terms of the entire situation. I mean, like I said, look, I'm not inspired at all about this appointment. You know, we've been reliably informed that it's a very close friend of Mr. Methven's who happened to be on the board of the FA when the takeover went through of our club. So... You know, a lot of people are putting two and two together. Perhaps they're coming up with six. But that doesn't necessarily mean that everybody wants him to fail just so they can say, I told you so. 
I honestly don't believe that anybody, any fan, will ever have that attitude, despite how poor an appointment may look from the outside. All we've ever wanted, every single person, is what's best for the club. And it's not about what's best for, you know, us as a fan site or a blog or a podcast or anything like that, because the reality is that means absolutely nothing in comparison to the success of our football club. So just kind of touching very briefly on what Tom said there about the idea of the communication, like I mentioned beforehand, from the club, I think it has to come directly from the club. And what I would sincerely hope going forward now is that all communication comes directly from them. I would certainly hope that despite whatever people's feelings are on Stuart Donald, that he doesn't return to social media in the ways that he was previously, as you know, as kind of outspoken and and maybe maybe he kind of caused some of the issues himself on that. But I think it's important that everything gets reined in a little bit. In all honesty, I wouldn't like any of the club officials on our podcast at this stage. I just don't think it would be appropriate. And perhaps maybe we can just dispel something um, about obviously the podcast situation. I feel like some people have missed the mark quite widely. Some of the comments and some of the things that get thrown at us quite often was, you know, well, you lot seem to be very close to the ownership what's happened you know has he refused to come on your podcast is that the reason why all of a sudden you dislike him and the reality is we've we've put statements and things like that out in this in the past it's just quite simply not the case just kind of briefly you know the the very last podcast we did was set to be with paul reed and paul reed only charlie methvin basically decided to come along on that particular occasion and it's something that we didn't particularly want to do i think we all felt at that stage that it wasn't very productive in respect of what was happening because we were getting an awful lot of criticism saying you're either not going in hard enough or you know perhaps you are going too hard but the reality was we were just quite simply asking the questions that were sent to us but I'll hold my hands up bear in mind I'm responsible for looking after the podcast the very last one we put out with the ownership by our standards was absolutely piss poor and we've had conversations as to why that had happened and I think the reality was when Graham and Tom was on that, it fell out of love with the idea of basically speaking to them, knowing that basically what was going to happen as a result was going to be an outpouring of people just not being happy. And the general feeling amongst the group was that no one really wanted to take part in it. And we explained the reasons why. That was obviously noted at that point in The Athletic. I think George Colgan made reference to that. And then off the back of that, if people remember, we had the you know, kind of massive group pod, if you like, where it was us, Wiseman, say, ALS and, and the fan TV rep all together, where everybody kind of determined that it would be in the best interest to basically say we're kind of unhappy with the way that the club's going, but we're going to do it as a United front. At that point, Wiseman, say, made their approach to Stuart. They had the conversations to say, will you come on the podcast? Which he actually turned around and said, no, because all of my communication will come directly from the Red and White Army. Then if you remember rightly, what had happened was is we'd received a direct message into our Twitter inbox randomly one day from Stuart asking if we would appear on a Boxing Day podcast with him, to which we said it's not appropriate to do so because podcasts are off the table. You know, we kind of stated once again publicly, it's not our wish to basically get involved with them at this point. And if we were to do it, we'd want to do it as a group opposed to individually. So the representatives would need to be together one more time. That would perhaps give us a more well-rounded approach in respect of the fan engagement. Of course, that was shot down. And all of this information is, you know, publicly available. Stuart determined at that stage he didn't want to do that. 
he wanted to come onto the Roker Report podcast, but he wanted to bring in his own people. We don't know who they were, but we declined because we felt that it was, you know, kind of really pulling the wool over people's eyes to suggest that he wanted to come onto our platform because he would get an easier ride. And perhaps that is the impression based on the last podcast that were put out. Because like I said beforehand, we had Charlie Methvin sit in front of Graham and Tom and openly stated that Phil Parkinson was fit for purpose for our job because he'd done an excellent job with Colchester in the championship. Now, Phil Parkinson never actually managed Colchester in the championship. We had Paul Reed sit in front of them and, you know, kind of discuss why results aren't important at an academy level. But we now have so many academy players want to jump ship because they're unhappy about getting beat every week. So, like I said, obviously, we reined it in and that was our whole idea about it. And just to spell any rumours to say that there was no hostilities in that respect to say we weren't declined from any podcast appearances with Stewart. The reality is, if we wanted it, we could have had it. But that did not lead to this whole Donald out debate and, you know, kind of the fan base's obviously perhaps being split now um, in terms of the way everybody's been thinking. And we'll not go into that statement once again because I don't want it to get diluted. I mean, I speak on behalf of myself, nobody else here, but I sincerely hope that Stuart is doing his, his utmost to ensure that his departure and Charlie's is going to be very, very soon from the football club. Hopefully that we can get the sale. I sincerely hope that he's realistic in respect of the valuation for the club because we know that there has been rumours about maybe the valuation has been too high. Again, that is purely speculative, of course. But in terms of what I want now from the football club, I want Jim to come out. I want him to basically address what has gone on, what his remit is, and basically we're going to kick on from there. As far as we're concerned, because the, the club statement came out and said this, the football club still remains for sale. So whether Jim has a job at the end of this, who knows. But at this moment, what he is hopefully here to do is steady the ship, because we have been dropping like a stone, get us out of this league, make sure that the decisions, the transfers, and everything are above board, and he will be supported. I mean, like I said beforehand, it's not the greatest of appointments, judging by his track record, but he's going to be given a fair crack at it by everybody. You know, everybody's had the grievances about Phil Parkinson, and there was people who were chomping at the bit, me included, to say that he wasn't the right man for us. But lo and behold, he won himself some more time. Now, the thing is, this is what we want basically now from, from our new CEO. Come out, tell us what it is that you're here to do and basically buy yourself the time to ensure that you can do what your remit is has been outlined by the management. Yeah, absolutely. And I think as well, maybe as one final thing to say today as well is with regards to the appointment of Jim, I think to maybe summarise where we're all at with that, you know, uh, as, as far as we're concerned here, of course, you can never... Obviously, I can't account for every single perspective of every single fan. Is we're not going to be optimistic because when you look at the track record, you know it's the case with any CV and any job. If someone is appointed and they have, you know, a disappointing CV, then you're not going to be optimistic. And there is absolutely nothing, you know, there's there's nothing controversial about feeling that way towards the appointment. Of course, like everybody else, though, like anybody else who comes to the club, you would want them to do well. You would want them to succeed for the club. And for the fans, that is absolutely what what every other fan would want from anyone appointed by Sunderland Association Football Club. But I suppose, you know, there's going to be a feeling, as there often is, from agents outside of the football club. And by agent, I just mean any other sort of person with any other point of view, is that obviously it's it's sort of like a running theme. And it has been for years. I don't think it's going to change anytime soon. Whether you're close to the club or far, if you're not a fan, there is an element 
among that demographic of, well, you know, Sunderland have what they wanted now. Why aren't you happy? Or, well, you know, you've got an appointment. Maybe you should be happy now. You know, why are you being so ungrateful? Well, at the end of the day, you know, this comes back to what we were saying earlier. You know, the standards have dropped considerably. If we're not optimistic from the offset, we're not optimistic, okay? We're going to give them a chance. We're going to give everybody a chance. But if we don't have cause for optimism, we are not going to act and feel optimistic. And, you know, we don't have to apologise to anybody as a fan base for feeling that way. You know, those are the salient facts. We've had two relegations. The club's been asset stripped by Martin Bain and Ellis Short. We've had some absolutely torrid players and managers. We've had two Wembley losses, three Wembley losses in the past six years. You know, it's, it's, has it been a good time to be a Sunderland fan? Absolutely not. It's arguably been the worst time in history. Statistically, that is the case to be a Sunderland fan. So if we're not immediately optimistic, that's because, you know, there's been a lot of doom and gloom. And quite frankly, if it doesn't look like there's going to be an immediate turnaround, we're not going to have an immediate positive reaction. So we'll be, you know, everyone's innocent until proven guilty, but it is what it is. If we're not happy and we don't feel happy, we're not going to show it. If you want the Sunderland fans to feel happy, do something to prove it. That, that's, that's my two pennies on that because I've seen a lot of that going around. But anyway... I think that's a good place to leave it today. So, thank you very much to Craig for coming in. Not a problem. Well, we say coming in, recording basically from my spare bedroom. Yeah, it's, you, it's you know been, what? Been... We we recorded we recorded something a little while ago that we that we're not going to use anymore because it was like out of date. But I did the exact same thing then when I said thanks for coming in because that's just such a, it's just so habitual at this point. Yeah. Thank you for tuning into your isolation inspiration station, Craig. Not a problem. Yeah, yes. and thank you, Tom, for the same. Yeah, no problem. It's been. Little hiatus away from the the podcast. I think it was about two years, but it's been absolutely fantastic to to get back involved again during self quarantine effectively in the house. So really rekindled my love for 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 Sunderland. Just being able to speak about it yeah. as much as just write about it. So yeah, thanks for bringing us on. No, you're very welcome, mate. It's been a long time coming. Certainly, obviously not since the days, as you say there, of the um, of when we did online pods, even when there wasn't a quarantine. That, those have yeah. been your last appearances. Probably going to be a bit longer of the lockdown to go yet. So I'm sure we'll be hearing a lot more from you, Tom. As will as will the listeners, of course. Fingers crossed, mate. Aye. Anyway, thank you very much, everyone, for tuning into the Roker Report podcast in association with Vaux Brewery, and we hope you are all staying safe. We hope you are all staying home, protecting the NHS, and saving lives. Thank you very much and good night. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.